0: And we've made the point that the further away your advertising and marketing gets from people who really understand the age gating responsibilities, the more risky it is for you as a business in terms of those not actually being complied with.
1: Welcome to episode 397 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday 1 December 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by Brews News General Manager Sabrina Kudens and Richard Watkins, Director and Brewer at Bent's Brewing Company and newly appointed Chair of the IBA. Welcome to you both and uh, welcome Rich in your new role.
0: Hi Richard.
1: G'day, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being had. Now, uh, congratulations. Uh, you've just been appointed chair of the IBA. Uh, talk us through that. What What does that mean? Were you a reluctant uh, nominee?
2: Look, no, I wasn't actually. I was pretty keen to give it a go. I've been, been involved with the IBA for a number of years now and I just think it, I felt like it was my turn to give back to an industry that's given me a hell of a lot. So I think that the industry is in a really exciting phase at the moment um, and if I can help in some small way contribute to so that, it'd be, um, you know, that'd be great. You're not the only new uh, board member at the IBA. Um, other new members include Evan
1: Craney from Bright Brewery, Matthew Shortall from Great Ocean Road Brewing. And hopefully I'm pronouncing these names correctly because such is the state of the industry. I, you know, we, we, we've reached a stage where I think once upon a time I knew everybody. Uh, now, I, I don't think I've met half the people who have entered the industry. Uh, the, the third one is Chris Sefala. From Local Brewing yep. Co? That's right. Okay. Um, Karina Steeb and Derek Hales are finishing their terms and uh, Richard is now the chair. So, uh, yeah, um, great to see there's a turnover of uh, talent um, on, on the board, although that also necessarily means that we've we've lost people uh, like Karina and Derek who have been, uh, you know, very valuable servants
2: of the association. Yeah, look, um, firstly, yeah, let's thank Karina and Derek for their amazing contributions, but I'd also like to um, acknowledge Richard Adamson's um, uh, work on the, on the IBA board as well, and luckily for the IBA, Richard is staying on as a con- in a consultant role. Um, we've got a, a number of um, big projects on next year, and it it'd be really great to keep Richard um, involved for consistency through the IBA. But it is great to see new board members um, coming on, and I think that's the great thing about the IBA is that it does get refreshed um, each year and um, I think that's important. I think, um, yeah, I think it's um, it's great for to have a, a mix of different um, um, people in, in the board from small breweries to medium breweries to large breweries as well.
0: And across the country, right? Like it looks like you've got a pretty decent sort of a fairly broad spread across the country as well, which is good.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. So what other, uh, I'm trying to think... What the priorities were enunciated last year. Um, what what are your priorities as as chair? What are you going to focus on, or what is what direction is the IBA taking
2: for the year ahead, twenty twenty three? I think the 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 big the big three are really going to be. We've got the ten year roadmap, so we need to now do something with that. Um, and the advocacy of that is really important. So the board needs to come up with a bit of a plan on on what's involved in um in rolling that out and and trying to help all you know all independent breweries around australia we've also announced that we're doing a constitution review which is important because this hasn't been done since the start of the iba and um you you know you always should be looking at your constitution to see that it meets all the requirements of all your members um and then the other big one is Um, brewcon being back on the schedule and really excited to to see how that rolls out in august later next year and that is a big project so that's going to take a lot of resources a lot of time Um, but it is our you know our showpiece event um, with the iba so um, we want to really see that that we deliver really good good uh, conference and experience it is a challenge for any
1: association you know the the membership is diverse. And it's like any group, whilst on one hand, they're all brewers and they have a certain amount of common interest. Everyone's got their own perspective and everyone's got their own view about what should be uh, the the ambitions for the association. And then even if people agree on what uh, the ambition should be, um, which is rare, everyone's got a different point of view about how you get there. Um, And it's goat herding and cat herding all, all at once. Anyone that listens to the podcast will know that I don't automatically agree with everything that the IBA says and does. But at the same time, I'm a huge advocate for everyone should be a member of it, regardless. Because without a strong membership and being, you know, viable as an organisation,
2: um, nothing will be achieved. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, look, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's very hard to represent every single view of, you know, 500 members. So, I mean, the best thing we can do is go out to all our members, um, gather all the information and um, all the things that they would like to see us do, then combine all that together, um, which we've done in the 10-year roadmap. And then we, we then need to trust that we've been elected to the board to speak for the IBA and to do for the IBA. And And I guess the members then need to trust us to try and do the best we can given given the, the roadmap that we've got um, to roll out. Mm.
0: And it's always the way, Richard, you know, like in a democracy, you never get 100% of what you want, right? So not every brewery is going to be like, I agree with 100% of the things. But um, if you're not in the tent making your points um, and having your voice heard and having it funneled somewhere, you um, you're not going to get anything at all so you know you work within the mechanism um and if you can sort of everybody will get a little bit of something right if everybody works together so that's because it's much stronger if everybody puts their voices together so you know it's such a hard balance
2: that's right and our industry's grown exceptionally quickly in the last five to eight years and and i think um there are a lot more different views on a number of different topics now so it is challenging to um gather all those views and put them into um, a you know a process that we can actually do something and that's my thing is i want to do things i don't want to just um you know summarize 500 members opinions and into five key things and we sit there and then we then end up with more debate on those five things (laughs) we we've got to be trusted now to actually do things and um that's I guess that's where I come from. And and I think, to be fair, that's shared by everybody else on the board because otherwise they wouldn't be on the board. And we're lucky that we've got a great team in the IBA, um, led well by Kylie, Mm. and it's exciting.
0: You know, that's always the point, right? If you can pick three things to do that meet as many people's needs as possible that's better than as you say doing nothing and discussing it right like it's really the challenge for the IBA is picking one are those three things because you've got limited resources um, it's not that the IBA wouldn't do a million things if it had you know 20 50 staff you know it's not that the ambitions aren't high it's that you've got to match the next steps with the resources available to to execute properly right so that's You know, when members think, they're like, why aren't they doing X, Y, and Z? Well, maybe that's just come down to prioritisation given resources like everybody does in their own businesses.
2: Absolutely spot on. The IBA has very limited resources. It's got a great team um, of people working um, for the IBA, but financially it has limited resources. Um, We we rely on our our key um, sponsors and partners um, to assist us in creating some sort of budget that we can use to hopefully do a few things and I think yeah. one of my things that I need to do is um, is get around to all our major partners and and really make sure that we um, are delivering on things that they they also want because they're they're also helping us exist and and without yeah. them we don't exist so that is certainly something that I've um, I've got on my list of things to do there are a couple of
1: topics that you always hear um, brewers talk about. And for a long time, it was excise. And we had movement on that uh, 12 or 18 months ago. But uh that was one that you and I had spoken about on the podcast a number of times. And whilst there was a lot of industry support for excise change, you were one of the people who sort of said, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a potential double-edged sword. Um, and the other one is tap contracts, where, you know, everyone points at tap contracts as if that would suddenly be a huge change in the industry. And again, I'm not convinced that the industry would change dramatically um, if, if TAP contracts, you know, there would be other partnerships that would be formed if, if it wasn't formal contracts. You know, are there any really standout issues that you hear a lot from brewers that the IBA should be targeting? Or is, is contracts still
2: one that, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to to try and change? Yeah, look, those two those two issues you mentioned are very much at the top of the list of what people want to achieve. I mean, I'll I'll represent the majority of of the IBA. I mean, my my point on excise has always been that it has potentially um, in earlier days been a very good barrier to entry. And so, what what that what I mean by that is that people are actually entering our industry um, for the right reasons, and that is to create you know local jobs, a local beer brand. Um, and and really good quality beer that really encourages the consumer to be passionate about trying um, an independent beer where they, for so long, had little choice. I guess the industry's grown so quickly in the last seven to eight years that um, and there's so many brands that I guess have come the beer brands that have started where um, they've had other people brew their beer, for instance. So that that ch- changes. I guess the, my thoughts around excise. I do believe that there should be some sort of excise relief for independent brewers. That I, I do feel that there's, there's some um, good good thoughts behind that, but I, for the, the actual format of that, I'm not really, really sold on exactly how best to do that, so I think that's probably a much longer dis- discussion. Um, a couple of other things that brewers talk about are CDS.
0: Uh, Yeah. You know, that's a
2: big, big thing. And that's one of the projects that Kylie's been working on and trying to deliver a national register on CDS and have it nationalised rather than have it state-based. So there is some movement behind the scenes on that. But as you know, everything takes so long, so it's potentially not going to come to fruition, potentially even in my term. Um, Tap contracts are a big thing, and I do believe that there is going to be benefits to small breweries by able to, to free up taps, but the ACCC, unfortunately, has, has ruled on this, whether we agree with that or not. The IBA doesn't have the funds to mount a massive legal case, and, and I don't think it's value for money to the members for all their membership um, that they pay to be spent chasing down potentially a rabbit hole that's not going to end up being changed. We could We could use all our funds on this very quickly and not deliver anything for the IBA members.
0: And that's always the challenge, isn't it, Richard? Like, um, you know, working with the Brewers Guild in New Zealand, obviously excise came up all the time and New Zealand's structure is slightly different, but there was, there was basically no window. There was no appetite by government to do anything. Successive governments of various colors. And so the point was, yes, we could throw the very small amount of resources tackling that year over year, year over year. Or we could focus on some other things that we think could deliver genuine benefit or genuine culture change, um, you know, even from a public perception, government perception point of view, that may in the long term be more beneficial. And it is that constant, you know, push and b- pull between do we play what's immediately in front of us and we keep doing this work in the background, you know, how do we balance those resources to get it done? It's so difficult and I don't envy, I mean, Kylie's got a small staff with, you know, 600 plus physical breweries in the country and more brands, um, you know, it's it's tough going.
2: Yeah, we've just got to be able to balance, like I said earlier, and I want to use this do word a bit more often, is we've got to balance our doing of large projects versus doing some small ones because if we just focus on all the large ones, we actually don't have enough um, budget to, to really carry them out. And I don't want to end up seeing the IBA in a position where we're, you know, having to put our hands out, multiple times just to try and deliver on some things i mean the fancis labeling has been another one that the iba has been been heavily involved with it's gonna unfortunately come roll out maybe twice over the next um five to six years and it's going to be a really big cost for for any breweries that package their beer because um you're gonna have to spend money changing your packaging i mean let's keep going with some things like the skills shortage that we've got at the moment um, and the salary benchmarking that we that we need to do. I mean, it's very, you know. And I'll be I'll, I'll just use Canberra for an example here. Like Canberra, it's very hard to employ people in a um, in a brewery based in Canberra because you're competing with a lot of public service jobs that are offering double the salaries for some job for some roles that we 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 try and hire for. Um, and so we've got a we generally do have a bit of a skill shortage, um, especially across the brewing side of things. Um, Kylie and Richard. Adamson have done a lot of work in setting up the the courses around Australia. It'd be great if we could unify that a little bit. So if we're hiring a brewer from Queensland who's done the course or WA who's done the course, that they've pretty well got the same qualifications. Um, so there's consistency there when you're comparing applicants for a role. The consumer campaign that's been been on the on the burner for a while, that's now coming to fruition. And that's going to be great to be able to roll out a consumer campaign based around the Um, The seal and actually get some traction with that. I think that's got to be something that's got to be ongoing for the IBA if we can afford it. Things like skill shortages and training.
1: I mean, they're they're really interesting subjects because they're so complicated. There's so much work involved in getting them, but they're not the shiny, uh, you know, glittery thing that everyone can celebrate once it's done. The, you know, they're, they're the iceberg that. All of the work is under the waterline, and you only sort of see these small little points um, when, when, when they're achieved. And yet, they're incredibly important to the industry, and they're also massive drains on the capacity of an association that's largely volunteer, like like the IBA. How hard is it to communicate? you know, these things to an industry that is busy doing its own thing, um, you know, so to, to the point that they appreciate the value of what the IBA is doing to justify them giving their money, you know,
2: membership dues year on year. Look, it's it's challenging too because, um, you know, sometimes you've been doing a lot of work and you haven't got much to say about the work, you know, mm. because you're dealing with three layers of government yeah. mostly and, and um, sometimes it just takes a lot of time to, you um, attend communicate with government communicate you know with different parties and sometimes it, you know you have these very small wins and sometimes the small wins are very hard to communicate to a broader membership because the broader membership will go oh, hang on you spent all this time and is this all you've done <laughs> um, and 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 that's it's you know it can be slightly deflating at times that you do a lot of this work and it's very it takes it's a very slow process mm. so um, I think um, if you've ever set up your own brewery, you need to think about how long it takes you to set up your own brewery. It's a slow process, and it's like everything. It's it's not um, you know there's no overnight results anymore. And then
1: when you, you know like CDS, um, the pregnancy labelling, you know the the food standards, New Zealand, all of these things that the, the, the IBA takes on for the small brewing industry. That they're all massively complicated long-term projects that quite often don't have an announceable dividend. Sometimes it's just forestalling negative change.
2: That's right. But I think if you're not prepared to sit in a seat at the table and be part of the discussion with these organisations, then um, you're not going to have a chance down the track to to create influence. I think you've got to. You've got to start somewhere, and that is that you've got to be part of these discussions. You've got to be in the communication threads from these organizations that are gonna make these changes. And and when you are and you're having multiple conversations over a period of time, you do gain trust from these organizations and they will consult with the IBA a lot more. And it's been good to see some of the communications with fans is on the labelling from the IBA, but also back to the IBA. I think it's um, really positive that we've got a relationship with fans. I, I guess I was um, couching that question or that
1: statement more in terms of this is some of the hidden work that when, you know, brewers... you know, Yeah, fair enough. Bre- yeah. Brewers love to bitch. Uh, you know, we, we all love to complain about things that we don't fully understand. And when you hear brewers are saying, well, what is the IBA doing? There is so much that is hidden, that, you know, n- never looks like it's a, like a huge outcome either way, but it's
2: just a lot of work being done on behalf of the industry. Absolutely. And, and I guess the industry just needs to understand that the IBA team um, are just like any other company team. They turn up for work every day, work really hard, work really positive positively towards great solutions for, for, for everybody across the IBA. Anything you want to say before we move on to the, the the rest of the news of the week? Yeah, well, just quickly, I'd just like to acknowledge the new board members that have joined us, um, Evan, Matthew and Chris, and and I think complimenting the existing members of Claire um, from Good Drinks, Lauren in Queensland from Ballistic and Callum Reeves in Victoria from Kaiju. I think i um, looking forward to seeing what our new members can contribute and um, it's always great to have fresh a fresh look at things, fresh opinions, uh, fresh views. Um, and I'm looking forward to our first meeting um, coming up of, of the new board.
1: Well, congratulations, all. And, uh, yeah, um, anyone who's listening, you know, get in, help the IBA, even if by just giving them your membership dues and uh, being part of something that uh, the industry needs. Other news keg pooling grows as convoy signs lion. Convoy declares keg pooling is not just a craft solution as it announces it has signed a deal with Lion. Lion has partnered with Convoy to fulfil extra demand across its Tui's New and Super Dry brands. CEO and Managing Director Adam Tripp-Smith told Brewers News. In addition to signing with Lion, Convoy announced it has signed one of Australia's largest craft brewers, Young Henrys. And uh, something that wasn't included in that article that uh, ATS or Adam Tripp-Smith was quite proud of the number of publicans that uh, had texted him photos of their 2 Ease deliveries uh, turning up in convoy kegs, which would have been a you know quite a thrill, I'm sure. Um, Rich keg pooling has been one of those huge changes over the last you know decade. Uh, you know, in fact, I think it's uh, recently
2: celebrated ten years of keg pooling in in, in the country it's great that we do have keg pooling in Australia because when we started, we didn't really have that option. So we bought a lot, we had to, you know, fund our own kegs. Um, and so now, um, like a lot of breweries using your own kegs in, com- in combination with, with a keg pooling service is the best way to get you, um, be able to get your beer around Australia. And you've got to understand Australia is such a big, big country. And to try and move your beer around, it's impossible to try and do that with your own kegs because you end up losing them. Um, and the cost to actually do it is is prohibitive to selling the beer to the to the tap
1: you know i don't want to turn this into old men reflecting or anything like that but you know where when you look at those sorts of innovations the whole industry, there's been a whole industry built around the craft brewing industry to supply whether it's small scale canning lines, you know. And, uh, you know, so many breweries, when they started, had to buy second and third hand bottling machines because bottling machines were so expensive or bottle by hand, you know. And, uh, you know, buying ingredients in appropriate quantities for a small brewery, you know. How long have you been brewing now? I first started
2: brewing in uh, 96, Matt.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's been vast changes to support the small brewing industry. You know, for, for as, as much as everyone talks about how hard it is, there have been a lot of changes like keg pooling that have made life much easier for brewers so they don't have to invest in two or 300 kegs on top of everything else when they open.
2: Absolutely. And, and that, that's the value of, the of, you know, what the service that Convoy Um, provide um, is that you have a bunch of kegs turn up you clean them you fill your beer you send them off and you don't really you pay a one-off fee on that keg it's not still not without its issues too we should just recognize and this is sort of come from a number of different breweries um, and that is the quality of the cleaning of the kegs so when you're cleaning your own kegs you know how you clean your own kegs Um, when you're using kegs that have been filled and cleaned by other breweries you're not sure about how they go about that and if they're not cleaned properly then you're you know potentially that that soiling of the keg is building up over time and and whether a you know whether a cleaning um, a good a good a brewery with a good keg cleaning process whether that then can clean really stubborn stains I guess as time will tell also just the tracking of the kegs is another big one too so there's a number of different ways to be able to track your kegs We use one called Keg ID and Convoy have got a great little tracker on their kegs too, that um, also track and tell you temperature. So if you're paying somebody to deliver your kegs cold and keep them cold, then you can actually look at that temperature and check whether that's actually been happening or not. So that's a really great bit of innovation that Convoy has started.
0: I was gonna make the point, Matt, um, and Richard, you touched on this earlier. Um, Whilst it is a great innovation to allow breweries to have options, it's another place where the barrier to entry has lowered. Um, so when we talk about, you know, the number of breweries, uh, physical breweries, but then also brands, you know, that the build up of actually making it easier for breweries, which is great, also means some of them make the barrier to entry lower. So, so, um, you know, it's continuing to make the marketplace competitive. So, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's how it's also affected or changed the potential marketplace.
1: Moving on, uh, seltzer flavors recalled. Moon Craft Brewery has recalled its fizzer, seltzer, summer berry, and grape flavors due to unintended secondary fermentation issues. Um, that's really just out there as a consumer, uh, you know, notification. Um, although I will add, it's it's interesting to see how mainstream media cover some of these. You know, they they turn these into clickbait. Um, Driving where where they don't tell you up front, it's you know popular drink that may be on your shelves recalled just to generate that that traffic, which I don't think actually uh, serves any purpose at all, other than uh, you know a very self interested one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, unfortunately, the recall or brewery's recall plan is probably one of the the hardest things you've actually got to put together, and then it's one of the hardest decisions you've got to make. Um, being a business owner of a brewery, um, I don't envy. Any brewery having to do a recall, um, and how that that media release is is put put out. Um, I do think sometimes I wonder whether we could write the media releases backward, backwardly, and, and not sort of um, allude to the the fact straight away. But um, I think um, media is too smart for that, and would still say the same thing either way. Well, they, they, they would, and, and often they
1: focus on you know with. When the the reason that's stated is often refermentation, which means the alcohol could be you know, the ABV could be higher. They focus on that, and then you get you know those posts on Facebook higher alcohol. Where's the problem in that? You know, and and it's it, it it doesn't serve to educate or inform. It just basically becomes a uh, clickbait and a novelty.
0: And it's interesting to see that there are a number of food recalls, but. Um, alcohol and breweries because it's more commonly relatable I guess um, they seem to be the ones that really generate those clickbait headlines you know this yogurt doesn't sort of seem to kind of get (laughs) the same traction you know in terms of mainstream media picking it up and having a field day with it which you know Demonstrates how far, you know, uh, craft beer has come as something that is relatable, sort of ubiquitous. Everybody understands it. Um, and that's why it gets the pickup because they know they'll get the traction on all of their clicks. But it's shit. Uh, yeah. to see some of the comments out there it's really irritating
2: yeah one thing we should do though is we should congratulate moondog for actually doing a recall and and the other, and the other breweries that have mm-hmm. done recalls because it it means that, that the breweries that do recalls like moondog have got a great quality system that's picked up this and mm-hmm. and they haven't then been worried about pulling it back because they've actually put quality first and that's what we want yes. to see in throughout all our members is putting quality first and and this is a great way to show it maybe we need to um, coordinate a whole member recall all at once across Australia just to show that we are putting quality first to to our consumers out there.
0: Mm. Yeah, and that's it's also you know because we've seen a few uh, craft breweries do it now. It's less scary for the next one, the next business who has to make that decision and go. I'm scared about all of these consequences, they can look at it and go, well, Ballistic is still here. Moondog is still here. You know, they're still getting range. So it makes it less scary for the next brewery to do the right thing as well. So, um, you know, to your point, good on Moondog for actually doing it.
1: Without shilling for the IBA uh, any more than I arguably already have, um, the IBA has a great resource available to its members on uh, how to conduct a recall. Um, Just yet another reason to join. Um, now I'm not going to try and segue from that story into our rallying's ad this week. That would be grossly <laughs> inappropriate. I don't think uh, anyone wants to be associated and I don't want to make light of it, but I will say that if you do want to make a billboard of your cans or bottles or even your cartons, rallings labels can do that for you. Um, the label is providing a new voice for designers and artists with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks and some tongue in cheek quips. Just brilliant. And, uh, To get all of the specs right so your candle bottle looks its best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallyingsprint.com.au to see how they can help make your brand sing. And you'll find a link in the show notes, uh, that telephone number, and uh, also on the business directory. Actually, maybe we should have uh, waited till the next story and then I could have segued nicely. ABAC releases social media compliance audit data. ABAC has released findings from its recent alcohol marketing audit, audit, which evaluated compliance numbers for age restriction controls across social media platforms. Conducted by JWS Research, the audit engaged over 300 brands between March and May of this year to evaluate if age restriction controls had been activated for Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts. In 2017, the ABAC code introduced placement rules which require alcohol marketing to have available age restrictions activated to prevent marketing being visible to minors. The objective of the audit was to understand levels of compliance across various platforms and any impediments to full compliance to aid education initiatives and the development of useful resources, ABAC Chair Harry Jenkins said in a media release. It is clear that the primary cause of non-compliance is a lack of understanding and confusion over the availability and implementation of age restriction options, particularly among smaller businesses. will add also, that came after, I think uh, two years ago, ABAC um, urged all breweries to go back and do their own audits of their social media and even some of their past social media posts, um, given that many breweries were falling foul of old posts uh, back then. Rich, uh, I think Jamie Cook, when he was uh, chair, had said that uh, the IBA was looking at joining ABAC in some way, or at least coming out of the aus- auspices. I'm probably too early to ask you about that, but what's your view of ABAC?
2: Look, I think ABAC has a role to play. Let's be honest, it's pretty serious when miners are confusing soft drinks with alcoholic products. So I think that's something we can't have in our community, to be fair. And if ABAC is is one of the uh, is the code that's, that's in, uh, responsible for for keeping um, all the packaging to, to a standard, then you know I'm supportive of it. I guess in 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 mostly, I think you know it'd be nice to be be part of the conversation in establishing the standards for for ABAC. I mean, I think that's another table that the IBA could sit at and be a really great contributor towards it. But I do believe that minors getting hold of alcohol isn't isn't good in our community.
0: I thought the interesting line out of this, Matt, was um, and because we discussed it recently, but it was evident from the independent, very few non-age-restricted brand-initiated influencer posts were detected, how there was was room for improvement on age-restriction accounts on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. And so, you know, they made the point, And we've made the point that the further away your advertising and marketing gets from people who really understand the age-gating responsibilities, the more risky it is for you as a business in terms of those not actually being complied with. So when you're advertising on your own platforms, you know you're really across it. As soon as you start giving it to somebody else to advertise, it gets a bit riskier.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Really good point. Um, Having said that, you are paying people to do this. So... You know your contract with these people that you're paying um, needs to be, you know, pretty clear that it that their stuff needs to meet the code as well because it brings the brewery brand or the beer brand into, you know, in, into um, contentions, I guess. So
1: yeah, I mean, it, there's an attitudinal element to it as well because on one hand, all of us in the industry want to, you know, have fun doing what we what we do. But then, when you step outside of the that that insular look to a much broader community, you know, alcohol is a controlled product, um, and you know the, the the rules that apply to marketing alcohol aren't the same as it apply to you know um, breakfast cereal, for example. Um, and and when you see even confectionery, you know kids' uh, lollies and things like that, and fast food discussions around advertising at certain times, alcohol is a is a much you know more risky product, and you know then there needs to be you know control exercised over the marketing of it to to make sure that the marketing is appropriate in a way that takes into account those potential. Risks or you know downsides of, of alcohol, and I think sometimes, you know, in the exuberance of the creative, uh, the, the industry forgets that. And uh, if we do, it does make us a target to you know growing forces of you know that, that, that are calling for much stronger regulation than you know is probably needed. Um, is a very long-winded way of saying you know I, I think it's a you know appropriate that alcohol is regulated in its marketing. Um, Well, it was a relatively quiet news week as as, as we hit the 1st of December um, and everyone gears up for Christmas. There was an interesting uh, mailbag comment from Rob Stewart and he shared, uh, I think it was a podcast, um, but his comment was regarding the rise of no low products. He heard some interesting data from the US in a recent Good Beer Hunting podcast. In an analysis of sales data, they have seen 8% and above Beers making up ten percent of the craft beer market—a figure which has tripled over the last five years—with the number one craft beer brand in sales being Voodoo Ranger Double IPA at eight percent. They say they they cite people likely going for better bang for buck, and I think we talked about this recently on the podcast. Sabrina, I'd heard there was another podcast that I think it was, um, I think it was John Hole's podcast from memory. I'll have to dig it out where. There is such a push towards, you know, um, IPAs and double IPAs over the Sierra Nevada style pale ale that once um, sparked the craft beer movement. Because in the US, the ingredient cost, and, and Richard, I'd appreciate your thoughts on this the ingredient costs in making a double IPA over a pale ale. Aren't hugely different compared to the excise cost in Australia um, of making them. And, you know, so my understanding is in the US, there's not a huge price difference between a pale ale and an IPA or a double IPA because they don't have that tax impost on the higher alcohol. And con- consumers then default to, well, if I'm going to pay $8 for a pint or $12 for a pint, remembering these are American prices. Um, what is the value that I get from that? and the, the the focus then is on alcohol as opposed to other attributes of
2: the beer? Yeah, that's correct. I mean it is it's different, yeah, a lot of different countries around the world, but yeah, you're right. in the US it's different to Australia. so when we make a double IPA the the excise is considerably larger. Um, I also think the US is a much more mature craft beer market as well and and a lot of lot of people over there. there's a much larger, Um, consumer audience over there for double IPAs. I mean, there's a number of breweries in the US that actually have double IPAs as their biggest selling beers. Um, And I guess Voodoo Ranger um, from New Belgium is definitely one of them. But, you know, an independent brewery like Russian River, they've had a double IPA as their biggest selling beer since they started, effectively. Um, We haven't seen that in Australia. In fact, I, I think there's... There's only very few breweries with it. And IPA is their largest selling beer in Australia.
0: Yeah, I had a great discussion um, recently with a brewer. We were talking about the rise of sort of lager and what that would mean, um, rise of cra- craft lager and what that would mean. And again, how different the Australian market is to the US market in terms of whether there would be sort of penetration for craft lager in the US. Um, and we were just talking about, you know, just you can take a lot of um, trends coming out of the U.S. and maybe think that they'll apply in Australia. But this question of sort of people looking for bang for their buck in a tight economy um, seems like something that people will say. So you see that at beer festivals even in terms of pricing. But it just doesn't flow through. The, 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 what is happening in the U.S. just does not flow through to the way that consumers are purchasing in Australia, and therefore, what breweries are making in Australia, it just doesn't flow in the same way.
1: And that's where you know it, it's a very complex ecosystem that we live in. And tax drives what brewer breweries do, which drives pricing, which drives consumer, you know, flavours and tastes and things like that. Um, it, as an outsider watching the states and seeing that, you know. We've heard similar conversations in the US about craft lagers and it was great when I was there in May to see a number of them that were having them, but it was almost because they had to, as opposed to they were selling well. Whereas I get the feeling in Australia, the number of brewers, you know, rice lagers seem to be, you know, the, 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 the latest trend. Um, you know, if we were to identify a new trend at the moment um, or an emerging trend, certainly from the number of beers that are being released, Rice Lager is the one that is really standing out to me, um, and and then that seems to be our market is, is is very very different. There isn't a Pacific Ale at volume in in, in the US the, the the way that you know Pacific Ale has completely changed uh, our market in the twelve or thirteen years since Stone and Wood re- released it.
2: Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, it's it is interesting comparing different beer markets around the world and how. And I guess the foundation of how those beer markets have started, and I think they're all a little bit different. So they have. That's why we, mm. our stories are a little bit different. Um, I do feel like we're tracking about five to seven years behind the US. So interesting. So, um, you know, if I go back to when I was starting, and any craft beer in Australia was a was a great beer, but the US had just started with the pale ales, and and when the IPAs finally Um, came in in the US we were looking at bringing you know in Australia pale ales was starting you know with the James Squire range and little creatures and things like that and then slowly we've we've caught up and we've got IPAs that are part of our beer scene now and in the US we're talking about double IPAs Although, I mean, I, I, that's where I
1: think that the maturing market yeah. has seen a fracturing. So once it, we once followed what was going, thinking that, well, craft beer is craft beer, and if, if this is big in America, it'll be big here. I think we are starting to see that Darwinian approach, you know, like koalas exist here because we separated, you know, and marsupials, you know, evolved yep. in their own way. I actually think that trends are much, much quicker than the three or five years these days because social media means that, you know, brewed IPA is created in the US, it's picked up very quickly, brewers here see it, they can understand the technique and, you know, it's almost six months, which is just the changing of the seasons as summer turns into winter in America, winter turns into summer here and those styles land here pretty much six months Later, Because brewers can hear of them, whether they take or not is very much up to the differences in our market. Sorry, Sabrina.
0: That, that's exactly what I was going to say, Matt. I actually think we're starting to diverge a little bit in the sense that the new, um, and you had this uh, a discussion with Soren Erickson on Beers of Conversation this week, um, who's been brewing for about what did he say, 15 years, 10 or 15 mm. years, and he was sort of, you guys had a discussion around what is innovation, as in introducing something from another market into the Australian market or in his case the Kiwi market was that um, innovation. And I actually think we're starting to see this sort of Australian and even more than that, this localization of what does your local market want that is quite distinct from another market and that those trends are coming in from overseas perhaps they're being tested really quickly and then they're maybe not taking and other things are coming are coming out and the only other thing I would sort of add you know we've talked about what are all of those external pressures so we've got You know, social media makes it more quick, but we've got um, taxation. But the other thing that we have that is very distinct from the U.S. market is our drink driving laws. Mm. And so the levels at which you can drink dry uh, or alcohol and uh, availability to drive, and, again, um, Josh Uh, from Sunshine Coast craft beer tours when he was on, Hannah had just come back from the US, made that point really clear. Like he couldn't believe people would come in and order a double IPA and then get back in a car and you just wouldn't see that happen over here. So I think all of those things converging mean I think, you know, Richard, you started out this podcast by saying it's a really interesting time for craft beer. What I think is most exciting about it is I actually think Australia is starting to get its own It's really quite distinct flavor like it's almost departing from what's happening elsewhere and creating its own really distinct space um and and I think that's really exciting yeah
2: I'll I'll definitely share that as well I think Australia is setting starting to create its own trends um one trend that um is a little bit bigger than just a a few beer styles is is the is the I guess what happened in the U.S. sort of five five six years ago when the market literally in the U.S. became flooded with many many different beers and what that resulted in unfortunately was a lot of breweries potentially shutting down um but also a lot of breweries who were trying to focus on selling their beers through you know numbers of different states in the us more focusing on selling their beer around their local area now i honestly think that that's where our market is heading and and once upon a time there weren't very many national craft beer um, players certainly in the independent space. And now there's a lot of national independent um, craft brands around. And I think that the retailers are struggling with trying to find space for all the different products that are being released by breweries these days. And I think the focus will definitely come back to more locally focused, ranging by breweries.
0: Yeah, I totally, I totally, you know, in, in a market that is this competitive, I think we're going to see, you know, a period of rationalisation. So, you know, breweries are really going to have to be clear. You know, we've got 70-something breweries that are still in train to open on top of the current 618 physical breweries in the country that we're tracking. And so in a market that competitive, you know, people are really going to have to hone where they're selling, who they're selling, what they're selling. Your sort of competitive edge is going to have to be much more clear and that... Localization and serving your local market with what they distinctly want, which may be different in, you know, um, country Victoria to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, you're going to have to do that really well.
1: And yeah, and, yeah, on that, and that's where I think that there is so much noise made about some very hyped beer styles, and I think when you look at travel around the country and see breweries that have Fundamentally, the same list, you know, beer list, and you sort of think, well, markets, you know, we, we don't operate in one generic market. And are you listening to the social media what people are wanting elsewhere, or are you listening to your customers about what they actually want to drink? And you know, it, it's it's a it's a huge challenge to, you know, know what you as a brewery are and what your what your market is, who you want to attract and target them as a, and filter out some of that, you know, noise and hype that we're all surrounded by in a social media world.
2: Yeah, good point.
1: Yeah, so a move, actually the, the one other thing uh, that I wanted to take out of that is in, in, just as uh, going back to the point that double IPAs offer more bang for your buck, the interesting thing that I also think is one of the reasons I don't think alcohol-free beer has the huge um, future that you know some of the hype says is because consumers do look at you know, why am I paying the same amount for an alcohol-free beer, Something, a product that has something taken out of it? Shouldn't it be cheaper? Um, they, consumers don't look at, well, this is how much effort it takes to make it. It takes the same effort. It takes the same ingredients, and sometimes it's more expensive because it's a smaller batch, so I should be paying the same. They just sort of look at well, this is the same thing without the alcohol, so it should be cheaper. Um, and for alcohol-free beer to flourish, it actually needs to build in value over and above the loss of the alcohol to uh, you know to, to to justify that price. And I don't know how you do that. You know, I think some of the functional beverages have tried to do that, where they've
2: made them you know isotonic sport drinks equivalents. Yeah, that's a good point. It's interesting to know why yeah, alcohol-free beers aren't cheaper than even the lowest alcohol beers. Um, you're right, process and sometimes ingredients play a big part in that. And, um, but I think there's a health um, driver in this though too and a lot of consumers do want to be drinking a beer that is no alcohol but still tastes like a beer um, especially if they're in a group of workmates or a group of friends, um, I think there's a role for that to play, and I think that health driver is increasing momentum. Um, and I think whilst the market for non-alcoholic beers will has plateaued a little bit at the moment, there's still certainly growth in it because the health driver is growing, you know, extremely fast. And and the the big part of the health driver is to really moderate your alcohol intake
0: and even in particular you know we talked about the change in craft beer but increasingly like the gen z just opting out of any alcohol altogether Um, and so being able to provide products for those folks when they come to a brewery with their friends and you know having that offering and it's funny i don't know whether it's because i'm in the beer industry but you know Non alcoholic spirits. I'm like, that's cordial, mate. That's cordial. Like, you cannot get me to pay $13 for a glass of cordial. And so, and I'm sure, just like in beer, there are extensive processes to make that a great product. But as a consumer, my brain goes to, you know, that I just cannot justify that. So I'm sure if I do that with a non beer product, um, consumers do that with a beer product as you may, as
2: you
1: said, Matt. So, which, and then it actually takes to, there's a link in the show notes to a study that I saw, it's called Pulsar Platform. So it's uh, some research body and they've, on one level it's some interesting data, but I don't think it supports the conclusions that they've made. It looks at, for example, Twitter mentions of alcohol and low alcohol beer in Australia from 2018 to 2022. and there has been a slight increase in, you know, Twitter mentions of zero alc beer. But when you look at the unprecedented media coverage for low alk and zero alk beer over that time, um, I'm actually again I'm surprised that it's not higher. Um, but anyway, there's a link in the show notes. Have a look at that. It doesn't. I don't think it provides any real insight into why people are really drinking, it's more reflective of the amount of interest that there is in it. Um, But again, that doesn't seem to be translating to other sales. Um, In other news, you've already mentioned the Soren Erickson chat with Eight Wide Brewing, which is fascinating. You know, another, you know, brewer that's been around for a long, long time and has seen, you know, the industry, you know, really go through its uh, arc um, and, and some great insights. Um, A reminder that the IBD Asia Pacific Convention is coming up. Registrations are open for the convention taking place in March in 2023. Uh, Early bird passes are available until 31 December
2: 2022. So uh, just 31 more days. Rich, do you go to the IBD conference? Yeah, I have been to a number of them. I haven't recently been to one. Um, It's um, always um, generally around... The Australian hop harvest too, so yes, yeah. you've got to choose sort of sometimes between where you can go. We can't go to everything these days, but um, looking, try yeah, looking at my schedule to see if I can um, get there next year. Cool. And finally, uh, Sabrina,
1: do you want to talk about the states of brewing report that uh, we uh, we you know last year we launched? You know, it was a it was a first effort. We were trying to capture. As more and more states had craft beer strategies and were seeming to embrace, um, at least giving lip service to embracing their local brewing industries, uh, we wanted to do an audit of what they were actually doing in practical terms, um, just sort of looking at you know direct assistance to the brewing industry. And uh, this week, you have launched a, a, a survey looking at uh, what brewers are finding in their own states.
0: Yeah, so the States of Brewing Report is a Brews News report that tries to take a look at the health of the brewing industry on a state-by-state basis with a particular emphasis on the actual inputs for at a state government level as opposed to a federal government level. So um, we know some of this work was canvassed um, through the work to produce the IBA robot We've just sent out a scoping survey. So if you haven't seen it, there's a link. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's a link in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. We've sent it out to a number of breweries and to associations. Um, and essentially we're just saying, have you had anything as a brewery? Have you had any support from your government, your state government, um, big or small? What was that? Um, do you have any concerns? Are there any uh, issues? And interestingly in the feedback we've seen so far you know there's continues to be issues with planning and licensing which are often at a local government level um and so again that makes it really difficult to track the number of local governments in the country to sort of see what's going well and where does inter- where is intervention necessary but we'll try and, um, you know, make special mention of the ones that are, are raised with us. So um, if anybody could just, like, complete that survey, that would be super helpful. The point of the survey is really where do our journalists need to spend more time to gather more information or ask specific questions of those state governments because uh, questions are put to to government representatives to help in filling out reports, So it'd be super great if you could um, complete that survey if you haven't already. Thank you.
1: Um, Moving on, Brewery of the Week, brought to you by our good friends at Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172 and talking all things yeast. And uh, we do thank them for sponsoring our Brewery of the Week. It certainly brings a, a spotlight and uh, I'm more than happy to pitch that at them or um, pitch that at our listeners. Ah,
0: oh, I got what you anyway, did um, <laughs>
1: not Anyway, not, not my best work. Um, but thank you to Bluestone Yeast. Uh, now, I, I'm going to uh, take the brewery of the week this week because I was on the road last week and I got to South Australia as anyone who listens to the podcast at Bright Star. But on Saturday, I got up to the Adelaide Hills and got to visit Prancing Pony for the first time to help uh, them celebrate 10 years um, of, of craft brewing. And, uh, you know, we, we sat there and I was speaking to Corinna um, and they had a full house And I asked Corinna, you know, is this a particular, you know, is this a group that is here to celebrate your tenth? And she looked around the room and said, basically, this is our regulars. And it was full, really nice feeling. They had the state attorney general there, um, who you know is a big fan of the brewery, and the the former mayor um, saying nice things. And one of the things that everybody who spoke talked about was the community that had been built around the Prancing Pony Brewery, and you know, normally you go to the brewery for a beer and the beers, as you would expect from Frank's beers, they were bang on, they were lovely. Um, but it was the feeling inside the brewery as you sat there drinking, surrounded by people who were just really pleased to be there. And there were families, there were children, all of the things that I love about a brewery. Um, so, you know, if, if you are going to South Australia, make sure it's 35 minutes, um, (laughs) <laughs> when we looked into it, I was going to hire a car to get from Adelaide to get up to the Prancing Pony and to hire a car for a day, it was cheaper to catch a cab there and back. So it's, you know, cab cab a bull if you want to. And uh, that way you don't have to worry about Australia's drink driving laws. You can try their 8.5% IPA, which is very good, um, but just a wonderful, wonderful day. So quite apart from celebrating you know, 10 years and, uh, you know, wishing them a happy birthday to Karina and Frank and the whole team. Um, It was just really, really lovely to get there and spend a a Saturday afternoon, um, you know, at at the Prancing Pony. So uh, they get my brewery of the week, thanks to Bluestone Yeast.
0: Cool. I want to go.
2: Yes, absolutely. I haven't uh, managed to get up to Prancing Pony, but that's just a great example of um, what an independent brewery is all about.
1: Yep. cool. Rich, anything else, to, anything that you want to plug, uh, you know, guest hosts get a free plug, anything that you want to push, anything you want to sell, any new releases coming oh, up?
2: not really, Matt. All I'll say is it's great to see that um, Brews News is continuing to support independent craft beer and the keeping the conversation flowing on beer. We need more beer conversation and, um, and uh, you do it very well.
1: Well, beer is a conversation, and uh, listen out next Tuesday night for beer's conversation. I'm I'm actually surprised, Rich, you didn't take this opportunity to uh, start banging the drum for your hottest one hundred campaign. Will we see um, uh, Ben Spoke going hard this
2: year, or are you going to just go quietly? And uh, you know, we'll, we'll just do uh, we'll just do what everybody else is doing, um, and that is you know it um, and it's something that's part of our part of our. Um, I guess our landscape is the hottest 100 and I think it's great when consumers vote on their favorite beer and you've, you know, if you, if you're not, um, in their face telling them about how good your beer is, then you should be. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. yeah. and
0: it's funny Matt so I literally as as you asked the question Richard is there anything else you like to say my mind went straight to does the Hottest 100 launch this week or has just launched voting launches soon I was like oh it's going to be Hottest 100 for sure
1: <laughs> but anything <laughs> that creates conversations around you know, thank, thank you for your kind words about us but anything that creates uh, conversations around beer is good and uh, speaking of which I will plug uh, I'll plug something of ours tomorrow I think in the Brewery Pro Channel that anyone who heard the uh, Scott Phillips podcast uh, teasers that we put into the Radio Brews News Channel. um, Jump across to the Brewery Pro Channel. Really, really great chat with Kelly Ryan from Visit Sunshine Coast. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the craft beer capital campaign that they're running that's, you know, sparked a lot of discussion about whether the Sunshine Coast really is Australia's best beer destination or not. Ironically, uh, Rich, Kelly Ryan, who is up there running things, used to be with uh, marketing uh, Canberra and... uh, we, we, we talk a little bit about the uh, ACT beer scene, uh, as well as the challenges of marking Canberra as a holiday destination, as opposed to a getaway destination. Um, but Kelly had some really, really great insights about why the Sunshine Coast, which has great beaches and so much going for it, decided to make beer a flagship um, attraction for it. Um, and the conversation that that has sparked nationally, not just about the Sunshine Coast, but about beer. Um, and because it like it was a discussion about tourism and beer, not just the Sunshine Coast, we do talk a lot about how breweries can engage their local tourism body to create similar sorts of campaigns and show them the value of visiting breweries the way that the local Sunshine Coast uh, do it. She speaks very positively about uh, Josh Donohoe, um, who we've had on the podcast a few times um, and about what a difference he made uh, to their awareness of craft beer in the region and what an asset that they had and a jewel that they could, uh, you know, present to the rest of the country to to try and generate more inbound traffic. So that's going to drop tomorrow. It's very interesting insights into the campaign, as well as to, you know, beer tourism generally. So, uh, you know, ha- have a listen to it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot to pick up on, on, on the marketing.
2: So, uh, yeah, another great conversation about beer that benefits everybody. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot more that um, beer tourism can, can do. Um, we're really only just starting to, to get involved with beer tourism. I think, um, you know, there's plenty of uh, yeah, other places around the world, including New Zealand, that have done that very well over the years. <laughs> and um, Australia probably can, you know, needs to leap forward quickly and catch up very much
0: well i can't wait i'm doing some beer tourism i've got two days off and i'm heading to melbourne and the purpose of my trip is to um Sample beer at breweries, so that's that's the whole goal. So I'm looking forward to my little beer tourism. Sean's child, too, I believe.
1: So you'll, Sam's
0: child, <laughs> me and another mother are leaving our toddlers to go for some beer tourism. Watch out,
1: Melbourne. Uh, well, when are we gonna see Beer's news <laughs> in Canberra? Uh, watch this space, uh, Richard Watkins. Watch this space now. <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> I have been watching it for a few years. Well,
1: COVID, you know, there was that code mm. There was that little Fair thing one. called COVID uh, that, that, that did get in the way. It, 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 it's number one on our list, but uh, watch this space. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard already, to be honest. So, anyway, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kudz, and special guest star Richard Watkins playing himself. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. Or you can join the conversation in our Facebook group. Just search for Radio Bruise News. And with that, for another week, we're out. Thanks
2: very much.